0: Welcome to this, the third series of our Ghost Lights podcast. This season, we'll be talking to some brilliant young changemakers who are challenging the system, asking questions of established leaders, and already making huge contributions in their bid to make the world a better place. Our guest today is Ramatu Abdul Kadir. She's known as the supply chain maestro, based in Nigeria and working in the engine room of getting medical supplies to where they're needed. She's got a unique insight into the pressures and pulls that this pandemic has put onto supply lines. Ramatu, it's a pleasure to welcome you. And, and I was thinking this morning about the first time we ever met, which, goodness, was four or five years ago when you were on the Oxford Strategic Leadership Programme and you had a scholarship there. Remind me what you were doing there and how on earth you came to be there.
1: It's great to talk to you, Tracy, and uh, I'm so excited um, for us to reconnect after such a long time. I recall um, when I went to Oxford, I was working on healthcare supply chain transformation project with the Kaduna state government in Nigeria. And um, that project involved working with multiple stakeholders. And um, because we have so many people with different perspectives and different expectations, um, it's difficult to navigate the dynamics and expectations of all stakeholders. So OSLP was a very interesting opportunity that provided a refreshing viewpoint of the problems. It made me look at the problems differently, and um, it also strengthened my resolve to explore ways of making Medicines available using various leadership skills that I learned from the program.
0: I remember that you almost didn't come, didn't you? At the last minute, uh, <laughs> uh, you were incredibly resourceful about the supply chain, I suppose, of getting yourself into Oxford that time. And I mean, you. I remember as, actually, I was saying goodbye to you. You talked about the importance of storytelling at that point. Do you remember that conversation just at, at the exit? And I, and I wondered whether you'd used that storytelling insight that you took from the program in, in your work as, as you went back uh, to Nigeria and, and around the world.
1: I do, Tracy. I remember that every day because um, prior to that program, even though I tell my own stories, but I never considered using storytelling as a strategic leadership tool in terms of telling stories to motivate people, effect change. But after I we went through the program and I, I felt the impact of some of the storytelling sessions we had, I decided to tell my stories on the project. And I recall promising you that I was going to go back and begin to tell those stories, I think one of the things that was very important was um we worry so much about telling great stories and uh but after the OSLP I just felt I would just go ahead share my stories share the challenges the lessons and um encourage people to support the project so yes storytelling was um one of my main focus on living OSLP program <laughs>
0: Well, I wanted to have this conversation with you, Romato, I mean, for lots of reasons. It's just great to see you. But um, I, I was actually following you on Twitter where you're, you're, you're called supply chain maestro. And I was thinking, you know, even five years ago, <laughs> the, the working in supply chain, it just, I don't know, to me, it sounded pretty turgid and boring and operational. And yet now, of course, it's absolutely the exciting, challenging, difficult place to be. And particularly where you are um, in, you know, getting medicines out in Nigeria um, during a pandemic. Perhaps you could share with us some some of the things that you've learned during this last couple of years, particularly about what it takes to get a supply chain working and, and what the, some of the barriers are as well.
1: I'm glad you like the cool name, Tracy. That name is supposed <laughs> to be an icebreaker. It's supposed to get people talking just um initiate those com- difficult conversations so um the essence of it is to get people interested in supply chains because supply chains are vulnerable but before OSLP there wasn't covid so it was difficult to explain it to people and like you said um people feel it's a boring area like what exactly are you talking about but during covid that provided a great opportunity to reopen those discussions that um, we need to, to to have and sparking those discussions around problems and solutions to some of these challenges that we've always faced in the um, healthcare supply chains. Using this uh, medium helps me to connect with professionals that are passionate. Also, the network of people that are solving problems um, is just amazing. There are so many people doing great work out there. But um, now with covid Everything is coming to fore and uh, we're, we're beginning to really focus on healthcare supply chains, um, which they really shouldn't be where they are. So, for me, I used to think the healthcare supply chain in Nigeria was the worst because that's the only one I know of. But with COVID and everybody running helter skelter, I could see that we have some, a bigger problem. We're facing a bigger problem. So, that was um, one of the biggest lessons for me. Knowing that there are so many people like me out there, they are facing the same problem that I'm facing, also looking for solutions out there. and We can't design these solutions alone. We have to reach out to our networks. We have to have some collaborations with people out there. We have to have cross-industry learning, also apply some of those learnings in healthcare supply chain. So those were some of the things that um, really stood out for me.
0: I think you're right. You know, it's not just Nigeria that has been struggling during this this pandemic. I think it's yeah. everywhere. And so, I'm going to ask you: tell me a story about over the past two years. A, a solution. It could be something very small that you or your team or your network have have. I don't know. Done in terms of really addressing one of these these
1: problems that you talk about. So, one of the greatest challenges we had in our supply chain was lack of human resource capacity. So people had always taken um, a shortcut approach to solving the problem, just fixing a band aid. So you take people out, you train them for some few days and you said, yeah, well, so they can work on the supply chain. So for me, uh, on that project... Seeing how we're struggling with shortages and then also expiries, on the other hand, made me know that um, the problem was much deeper than just getting medicines. It's beyond that. So because when you buy medicines, these medicines don't take care of themselves. You need people that understand the flow of these medicines to be able to ensure that there's continuous availability at the hospitals. So and that was one of the problems that um, we tried to solve on that um, project, getting more people um, with the skills and knowledge to be able to handle some of these technicalities in supply chain, to handle inventory management, distribution of medicines. You could see how. It was so difficult getting medicines to hospitals, vaccines. And we have so many medicines in healthcare supply chains. So getting everything to the right place at the right time where the patient is going to get his medicines is not easy at all. So we needed people that are skilled to be able to do that. And that was one of the things we did. We started training. We went into collaboration with universities. We trained people. All of a sudden now we have a huge cohort of supply chain professionals in Nigeria Mm -hmm. and already some of them are beginning to move abroad and um, so the goodwill is spreading everywhere. So I think um, that was a really good one that we're able to solve
0: that's very exciting and i know that that's been another passion of yours is is mentoring and also education i saw i think it's your 17 mentees uh, all graduating from harriet watt university i think you know and and i could sense you know your influence there behind actually getting them through that extraordinary kind of journey and you're right that sort of focus focus on people and i was interested when we spoke the other day you're saying, you know, because, because certainly I sort of feel always the cry is there's not enough money, you know, if there needs to be more money. And, and you, you said, no, you know, any system where, you know, of course, there could always be more money, but any system where there are kind of excesses and lacks, it's a broken system. You talk now just then about, you know, vaccines expiring. I wonder, you've spoken about the people. We need people who really understand and who are trained and who are professionals. Do you have any examples of small wins that you've managed to achieve without getting more resource or without more money through ingenuity, imagination, I don't know, energy? Give us an example.
1: Yeah, um, thank you, Tracy, for asking that question. We've been able to weave some magic and that's what you call it, it's magic. So, if you are able to clean up the waste in a system and turn that waste into money, then there's no better system than that system. And that's what we did. Initially, the warehouse did not have capacity to ship medicines to the hospitals, but yet the warehouse has had huge expiries also lying around. So, we cleaned up those expiries, we cleaned up the waste. And um, the system became more efficient. So I think one example I have that stood out for me was when I took over the leadership of the project, um, we decided to clean our warehouse because the warehouses had not been cleaned for so long and nobody could remember how long it had taken to clean the warehouse. And the people there told me that um, we need more money. We don't have money to clean the warehouse. And that for me was really strange. Like, how much do you really need to clean your warehouse in order to to improve the quality, the ambience of the environment. But we decided that it doesn't matter, no matter how much, the little we have, we're going to go in and start cleaning. But I can tell you that cleaning took over three months because the warehouse was really massive. And uh, so we kept cleaning, scrubbing and cleaning daily just to get that shine. And while we're cleaning up, We were even able to sell some things, so we had so many junks also lying around, and we sold them and paid for some of the services that we had received. We paid for the garbage collection, we paid for some other services that we had um, gotten, and uh, so that was really very interesting for, for people. So you have junks, um, you have materials that are useful for another supply chain, but, but you don't even see the opportunity in using that. So that's one of the example of how we're able to do that. We paid for a lot of services with the monies that we generated from discarding our junks.
0: I love that. That really is magic, isn't it? Turning waste into gold. That's fantastic. And I know, Ramatu, that, you know, it's not only others whose education you kind of mentor and encourage, but you're, you're at the moment engaged in a PhD yourself and sort of academically, hugely interested in this area. And again, when we were speaking, you said, you know, the kind of rigor that's brought to, let's say, the car industry <laughs> the kind of knowledge and precision about how the making of cars is thought about somehow doesn't seem to be thought about when it comes to health. And you said something really starkly to me. You said health is more important than cars, you know, to us as individuals and to our communities. And, you know, just, of course, that's obvious, but I mean, sitting where you are, why is it that even as individuals, we seem to be so happy to buy grand cars, but uh, not, not really prepared to invest in our own health? I mean, wh- what's at the bottom of that? And and how can we change that?
1: Yeah, I think it's all about trying to change people's viewpoint, trying to change um, the mental models that people have. So we, we value cars, and because we value cars, people are more willing to invest some people will save some people will get loans and all that um and even so looking from my own perspective looking at the manufacturing industry itself the rigor like you said is just amazing you know the the attention to detail um the flow and just the seamlessness so so for example if a car is manufactured in when in 2022 now i can tell you that within the next two to three months or five, six months, you would see it in Nigeria, like so fast. But yet our healthcare system is lagging way behind. I can't remember um, if the healthcare system had ever looked any different when I was younger. You know, it's still the same old thing we've been doing, but we're expecting a different result. While compared to the manufacturing industry, the the, the advancement is just beyond imaginable. And for me, when I say that. I'm trying to get people to be more aware. Like, what are the things that we can learn from the car manufacturers, from the cars supply chain as you would like to call it, or whatever you call it? What can we learn from manufacturing industry in terms of efficiency? Can that be translated in healthcare supply chains? Can we bring that to our own industry and begin to implement that and see if we can get the same efficiency? So so yes, we can't just leave the improvements to government and um Philanthropies and just NGOs, everybody needs to be on board. As you can see during COVID, we had, um, I saw some high school children in Nigeria designing robotics for the protection of healthcare workers, which is really great to protect healthcare workers Um, already, they're already stretched. And then with COVID, you begin to lose, We we lost some colleagues to the pandemic. So, having all this innovation coming into the healthcare, and for us as professionals, we also have to be open to accept some of those innovations. I've seen a warehouse, there's nobody working in the warehouse, fully automated. Do we have a hospital like that? Is it possible? Can we do that? Those are questions that we're asking.
0: I'm glad you're asking them Ramatu because if there's anyone who's going to change people's minds it's it's you and (laughs) again when we first met you spoke eloquently about being a female in you know unashamedly fairly male dominated government and you know I wondered whether what was your secret about getting your voice heard and changing people's minds and making a difference being a woman in that kind of environment.
1: Yeah, so I think it's very important that um, being a woman in supply chain, um, you have to be able to prove your mettle. That, that's just it. Nobody is going to hand you anything. You have to prove yourself and people respect you when they see that you've earned your place. They might not necessarily agree with everything you say, but demonstrating results for me, that is a winner. You have to be able to demonstrate results. You have to show people that um, you mean what you say and you say what you mean. So I believe getting done uh, things done in an environment of continuous learning also. Um, So nobody has all the answers. I don't know everything. Yes, I'm the supply chain maestro, but I'm learning continuously. So can we all learn together? Can we design solutions together? And um, it also doesn't matter if we fail the first time, we fail the tenth time. We just keep trying until we get it. So once people there's this um confidence that you build in people uh you build in young people and eventually they will follow you and even the male dominated um industry definitely women must find a way of making inroads into them but we can only do that when we are purpose driven if you are purpose driven then it becomes very clear people can see it um you are sincere you have that sincerity of purpose you're willing you're you're also willing to get results and get things done i think that's the um, the only way to to be in that industry and make it
0: that's fantastic ramatiana and i love the way you always talk about actually, you know, increasing the confidence of others and particularly the young all the time. You've always been focused on bringing up the next generation and that sense of real optimism in what's going to come next. I mean, this series of podcasts was about change makers. And I wonder, um, I can see we're running out of time, but as a last question, you have brought about a lot of change and you still are. And I wonder if you could leave us with one change, however small, that you're really proud of that stays with you, and one change that's still to do, still yet for you to, to that that you're determined that you're gonna make in the future.
1: Yeah, so that's a difficult one <laughs> because I have so many things going on. But I'm really, really proud of raising awareness of the challenges of supply chain in general. So if you can backtrack four or five years. You wouldn't hear anything about it. I didn't really hear much about it either. So just going out there and telling people about it. And I'm also excited about building human resource capacity, which we've just started. But you know, Nigeria, 200 million people, that is just, um, we're just getting started. So I'm excited for what the future holds in terms of um, getting people into supply chain, especially the young generation. As you know, we're a very young continent. Um, so there's so many young people around. It would be really great to have them in this space also because they have, they're, they're so creative. There's so much innovation going on out there. And if you can get more people into healthcare supply chains, I think we'll begin to see the, the change that we're really looking forward to.
0: That's fantastic. And that's a wonderful place to end. So thank you so much for your time. I know it's hot over there, 1029 degrees. So thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening as well. And I hope you'll join us for our final podcast in this Changemaker series that will be next month.